What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today's guest is Chris Jarris, a partner at Quinlan Partners. And because he's a partner at Quinlan Partners, I want to know more about him. So Chris, introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Great to meet you, Evan, or see you again. Uh, my name is Chris Jarris. Uh, I'm a former practicing attorney. Uh, spent a few years after college running around traveling and then um, began 12 years practicing law. Started at Arnold and Porter in DC, actually, um, where I had a wonderful time before moving down to Charleston, South Carolina, um, and uh, practicing law down here for a handful of years. Um, so while I was down here, I met the founder of an investigations firm uh, named Paul Quinlan, uh, who became a friend and then eventually a client. And, uh, and then soon after that, I joined the company. So um, since then, our company has grown from about 10 to 20. We've added some great partners, opened a New York office, and um, it's been it's very exciting. What do you do now? You used to obviously practice law. What do you do now at Quinlan? Sure. So I'm a partner at, at the, the firm. We are a full service investigations and business intelligence firm. Um, so I guess, you know, generally people, when they think of private investigations or investigations, you know, think of some sort of preconceived notion of what an investigator is, maybe like uh Sherlock you smoke, Holmes. You or, smoke a lot of cigarettes oh, yeah, and, and exactly, maybe carry a license pistol. Uh-huh. Sit in cars outside of motels with Stake you know, cameras and telephoto lenses, you know, that sort yeah, of business. Yeah, yeah. Catch the cheaters, uh, the the adulters. That's what you do, isn't it? it exactly. So, you know, it's like uh, I don't know if you've seen something about Mary, but there's this character played by Matt Dillon. Um, I'm dating. Dude, how could you ask me if I have not if I've seen something about Mary? Of course I've seen something about Mary. It's the classic. Classic, classic. So no, so that's how people kind of perceive it. Um, really, um, we're, what we do is something very different than that. Uh, sometimes maybe uh, we do a little bit um, Sherlock Holmesy activity, but generally speaking, you know, we're a core of professionals, um, and we specialize in really kind of two core skills. So first, um, we have a group of people who are exceptional public records and open source uh, researchers. So finding information that's available. Um, either through public records, online, et cetera. And then, and then the second is we're really good at finding people who have relevant information and talking to them and obtaining information from them. So, you know, we apply those two skills together, you know, either individually or together for a variety of different clients to do different services. We may help, you know, investor or a corporate client uh, vet a potential acquisition target by digging into the key executives, you know, their competitors, the company, um, we might work with attorneys to, you know, help their clients um, fact find in respect to a litigation or a dispute, like, you know, learning about the counterparties, the witnesses, uh, internal investigations. And then we do a lot of international work um, using the same skills, although generally speaking, you know, there are a lot of jurisdictions where public records are either effectively, you know, unreliable or unavailable. And so in those sorts of jurisdictions, we help clients a lot in finding people to talk to and learning information on the ground. So that might be like in the context of an FCPA investigation, somebody doing sanctions compliance work, which as you might guess is a pretty hot topic right now, um, or an international arbitration. How, how are you able to use your legal background in the job now? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So at the end, the tail end of my legal career, I most of my practice was focused around investigations and, and criminal work. So helping clients who found themselves in sticky situations, 
um, figure out what happened and figure out how to solve their problem. And it was really interesting because, you know, a huge part of that work is fact finding um, and analyzing the facts and then ultimately kind of giving your clients legal advice about the facts and, and suggesting what they should do. Um, and so really a lot of what we do is everything up to the point of giving the legal advice. Now we are much more efficient at finding information and talking to people than lawyers are because it's what we specialize in. So we do a lot of that. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm a very naturally nosy person just by nature. And so I, I have very much enjoyed it. It's really curiosity is really one of the most important things in people who are looking to hire. Um, and so it's, you know, people who want to figure out what's going on and, you know, get to the bottom of it. And it's, it's really fun. We work on a really broad variety of projects. Most of the projects are relatively short in length, although some go on for years. Um, so we get to learn about all kinds of industries, all kinds of people, you know, do work all around the world. It's, it's very interesting. So do you partner with law firms? So do like a firm like ours would use your services? Yep, absolutely. In fact, I um, have and am currently working with some folks um, at Arnold and Porter um, and um, some folks who I used to actually work with a lot when I was there previously, um, which has been a really wonderful experience and, and uh, another firm that I worked at. Um, and then we work with all types of lawyers. I think we've worked with something like 60 out of the top 100 AM law firms in the country. Wow. So based in Charleston, you said you have a New York office. What, how do you get clients? Is it the same kind of thing that we do as lawyers in terms of trying to do business development, speaking and such? Like, I'm just trying to think of this, this scenario where someone is like, yep, we need an investigation firm. Who do we use or how do you even find one? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, actually. Given that I was working in the legal industry in the investigations area, it's amazing how little I knew about the industry before I met Paul and, and started you know, working with him. Um, I think most people do not really even know that our service exists, even people who are in a space where they're potential consumers of it. Um, so a lot of it is really educating people. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of the work is that it sounds interesting and people, particularly lawyers, like to ask questions about it. Um, so if you meet someone at a cocktail party and tell them that you're an investigator, they tend to think it seems interesting and have questions to ask. Um, and so a lot of it for us, the business development is word of mouth. Um, and generally, you know, people will find themselves in a circumstance where they need information and, and they'll talk to friends of theirs if they themselves haven't used an investigator. And, um, you know, our goal on the business development side, of course, is just to have people know who we are. So our name might be in the mix. And of course, you're not. Do you watch Ozark, by the way, because there's an investigator? Of course I do. Yeah. Okay, good. I figured there's an investigator there that's the ex-cop level investigator. That's the, the stakeout guy um, yep. or gal. That's what I'm thinking of uh, when I think of investigator. But this is like really high end, you know, corporate espionage level type investigations. Well, I wouldn't say that we engage in corporate espionage. Um, but yes, this is. <laughs> See, so no, we, I just threw you like a bone there. Like you're doing like cool stuff when like someone, there's a movie where someone is, is, uh, solve male pattern baldness, the, the chemical formula for male pattern baldness. And that's, that's what you're doing, isn't it, Chris? So, so what we might do, I mean, we do do a lot of very deep dive business intelligence work. So if we have a client who's, for example, like looking at a potential acquisition target, they might hire us. We're not only looking and doing background work on the key executives or the company, you know, they've been involved in litigation. Are there any indications of fraud? But, you know, we might go out on the market and conduct interviews with 20 or 30 people who work at competitors, former employees, learn as much as we can about the business, about the industry, and, and then provide that information to our clients to help them make decisions. Um, it's really basically 
helping people find information that is slightly outside the scope of what the rest of the, you know, their competitors are consuming so that they can have an advantage. So I, being that this is a TMT podcast, I do like to try and find the technology media or telecom angle to hit with my guests. And so for you, Chris, I want to talk about how you use technology in your work, because I imagine even with the public records searching and stuff, we're not talking about walking down to the courthouse and distracting the receptionist while you sneak around and make photocopies of no the sneaking, no sneaking, yeah. no sneaking. There's definitely no sneaking. Um, so how, what is the usage that you uh, make of technology and what sort of platforms and things are you using? Yeah. So I, obviously, you know, I, as you mentioned, people have the kind of Columbo, you know, detective cruising around finding information. Um, We use technology is very highly leveraged in our industry and is increasingly being more leveraged. Um, Obviously, there are a lot of databases that we have access to um, by being licensed, um, which aggregate data, which can be really helpful. So, for example, you know, um, it used to be that in order to find an address history for somebody, if you wanted to see where they've lived, you would have to effectively dig back step by step. There are databases now that rely on credit header data, and you can really type their name into a database and pretty quickly find every address they've lived at. Um, And then you can look in the local jurisdictions and see whether they own those homes, you know, whether they bought them um, and sold them, you know, and and how long their presence was there in order to determine how else, you know, how deep you might dive. Um, Similarly, there's databases for corporate affiliations. You know, it used to be that you would have to send a person to different you know, local jurisdictions to see whether there may be something on file. Most of that is available online now. Um, and so there, I mean, there's a huge amount of leveraging to moving towards uh, trying to automate a lot of the tasks that used to be done by humans. Um, for example, like in social media, um, if, if we wanted to try and put together a connectivity chart to learn you know, how a group of people, how their network maps out, there are tools that are now available where you can you know, plug their name in and it will pull all their social media accounts, see all the people they're associated with, all the people those are associated with and allow you to start drawing connections between people. Um, so if, for example, you know, a, a, there's allegations that somebody at a company committed fraud um, and you wanna know whether they're associated with somebody, um, you could very quickly do an analysis of their social media to see whether they've been interacting with each other or whether they're connected through other people. Um, how many people have access to this type of searching? Because this is pretty, it's pretty scary slash amazing. Well, I mean, you know, obviously access depends, you, you know, for most of these services, you have to be licensed. Um, but, you know, a lot of this data is Wait, but right so now. like, you don't have like a Colombo like PI license that you flashed. So we are a, we are a licensed that. private investigations firm. Um, so we do have access to, to this. I do not walk around and flash a badge. Dude, does, um, does we, Quinlan hand out like the Colombo raincoats when you get hired there? Because if he does sign me up. Actually, yes. And you're required for the first week that you work to walk around with the butt of a cigar in your mouth and just kind of look at people. Ah, all right. I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm perfect for the job. I'm like your um, ideal candidate. So, um, so, I mean, so it's, you know, it's really interesting. There is a huge amount of data. I mean, you know, the, the, the of course, technology has a downside in the industry. Um, there is, I mean, like on the public record side, 
there is just an insane amount of data, um, but there's also data that's not available at all, right? So there are a lot of courts, you know, as a lawyer, perhaps, and if you've been involved in litigation and you're trying to find court records, there are a lot of courts that aren't online um, or where the ways that you search in those courts are completely different um, or they only index certain types of material. So we actually worked on a case where, um, where there was an executive um, who had been diligence before previously by, um, by our client. And we were doing a deeper dive and, and had sent a runner to a local courthouse in a jurisdiction that they had lived. Um, and a document came up that uh, was not available online um, that indicated that pretty conclusively that this executive had been living a double life and was about to um, face some pretty serious litigation regarding the circumstances of his life. And so, you know, kind of aside from the onyx, honesty, ethics questions that the client would have been considering in, in doing the investment that they were thinking about, you know, there's other questions about, is this executive going to be tied up in personal litigation for the next two years? Are they going to be able to really effectively manage this business? Um, and so, you know, it's about getting that sort of data. And, and so, as of 2019, there were 300 million, 319 million individual documents available on PACER, which obviously is only the federal judiciary, right? Yep. So those were across 94 district levels, 13 appellate courts. There's no uniformity in how those are categorized at a district court level. Um, they're all saved differently. Um, they have their own idiosyncratic. All the you know, doc filing. IDs are different. The metadata is different. Yep. The filing IDs are different. Everything. The naming conventions, yep. everything's different. And it costs 10 cents to download a page. Yeah. So Wait, you it really does? have to know what you're doing. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> I know, but it's a 30 cent maximum when you That's search. That's true. No I think it's like a $3 pages. maximum you yeah. know, per document. Yeah. But yes, exactly. So so we, we, were, I, we were doing, in kind of getting prepped for this, we were doing a little uh, toying around. And so we were looking at, you know, how many, Mike, let's say you're trying to do research on somebody named Michael Smith, right? So running Michael Smith through a database in either the United States or Colorado, there's too many results. There's too many Michael Smiths for it to even query that result. So if we shrink it down to Denver, there are 1,355 Michael Smiths living in Denver. So if a computer is trying to gather all the information it can running some sort of AI application on, on Michael Smith in Denver, it will spit out an extraordinary amount of information, so much that it will take you too much time to dive through, right? And, and if you're running it on, let's say his middle name was Mike M, right? There's still 80 Michael M Smiths in Denver. Um, and there's four, over 4,000 matters in PACER in which Michael Smith has been a party. So, you know, getting through that information is, is something that effectively an algorithm as of yet can't do. Um, and so while the technology is nice, it's actually created so much information that it's virtually impossible to parse through without humans being pretty heavily involved. Um, in fact, so we did a little dive just to see how many Evan Rothsteins there are in the country. There's the only one, baby. Well, <laughs> there's only one that matters, of course. Yeah. Um, there's only so, one real Evan. That's my new Twitter handle, the real Evan Rothstein. <laughs> so there's only one in Denver, actually, which I was surprised by. Although there's another person who potentially is charading as Evan, and, but really it's his middle name. Um, and, and there's only three in Colorado and there's nine in the United States. So Wait, there's three like, Evan Rothsteins in Colorado? That's, what they, that's right. Wow. Will the real Evan Rothstein please stand up? I was thinking you should actually host a dinner party for all of the ones in the United States. There's only nine of you. And that's my lucky number. So maybe I should, I should just invite everybody. Actually, you know what? One of the other, the second most famous and interesting Evan Roth in the United States is a NFL coach now for the Patriots used to be at the Lions. Do you find him? 
Well, we weren't that. really digging. This was oh. just, uh, you know. Okay, good. Don't dig on me. That then uh-huh. you're gonna find how much time I spend, you know, playing Pokemon Go with my son. You may see how many Legos I've built, things like that. that don't do that. Well, are you posting that online? No, I do nothing online. That's the whole point. I only have LinkedIn. This is what you told me today when you saw me peep, peeping on your LinkedIn profile. LinkedIn mm-hmm. is the only social media I have. And the the uh, soliloquy you went on earlier about the social media searching and the connecting, that is the reason why I am not on any other social medias. Alex, are you listening? Yeah. Because that's why I'm not on Twitter, because I have no accounts. You just can't find me. There's only nine of us. Interesting. Well, I almost feel like we should do so. Interestingly, you know, we actually are regularly engaged by clients who are trying to learn about what information is available about them online. So doing kind of self-diligence, perhaps they're, you know, going to apply for a new job. They're going to face some sort of, you know, congressional inquiry, something like that. And they want to know everything that could possibly be found about them. And it's extraordinary. In almost every case, we find social media accounts that they created and completely forgot about that contain all kinds of information. Um, and so, I mean, it's really nuts. I don't know. Do you, did, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the Matt Getz, Joel Greenberg Venmo um, oh, situation, yeah. but yep. you know, those are two guys who were communicating on Venmo late at night, um, uh, allegedly, and, um, and had not set their profiles to private because Venmo for a long time had its default setting at public. And so um, it was easy to search and see what they were transacting between each other to the extent that, again, they were their real accounts, et cetera. But, you know, that was information was all publicly available, published, and, you know, whether it led to the investigation involving both of them or, you know, was a part of it, it's extraordinary how much information people put up. I mean, the January, I don't know if you've been following any of the January 6th hearing or, 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 the, um, or any of the indictments that have come out of it, but the amount of information contained in those indictments that people themselves posted is extraordinary, right? So people are running around with video cameras, tweeting about where they are, saying what their location is. We had a, we had a guy that we were looking into who had gone out of his way I mean, out of his way to stay out of credit headers. I mentioned earlier that you could really quickly, if you have, you know, if you've participated in any sort of credit activity, opened a bank account, gotten a credit yep. card, you know, whatever, that your your address becomes, you know, is registered in, in the credit system. And so this guy somehow in 20 years had not. I honestly have no idea how he did it, but um, nonetheless. But he had a relative who was fastidious on Instagram, posted a picture like every day with the family all over the place. And so we were able to figure out where this person had been basically every day for the last five years. And it was all public. And it turned out that the person was not where they had said they had been, shockingly, given that all the effort that they had gone to to keep themselves uh, secretive. And so, I mean, this, the amount of information that people have out there is absolutely wild. Um, and, you know, this is a huge kind of where's the industry going and, and you know, what are, the, what are the real technology trends? I mean, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people are very frightened by the, the information that the social media companies have and how they can use it to influence all sorts of commercial behavior. Um, but I think it's really interesting. A lot of the information, you know, is just public. So everybody has it. It's not, you don't need to be scared what Meta is doing with your Facebook data. You need to be concerned with what everyone else in the world is doing with your Facebook data. And, um, and you know, I think obviously there are some people who have decided that they prefer to have the service and they don't care how their information is being used. But, you know, if you have one friend who takes a picture of you and feels that way, now you're public. And, you know, you, obviously you say you're, you're off of social media, but really no one is because we're all around it all the time. Yeah. So this is why my kids don't have social media and my wife doesn't even really do social media, but she has a 
a Instagram or Facebook meta, whatever account that she uses from time to time. And I pop up in there from time to time because I'm really photogenic, but also because, <laughs> you know, sometimes she your likes hair. To, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's probably my hair. She likes to admit that uh, she, she sometimes was willing to admit that we're still married and she's willing to stand next to me in photos, especially or despite my hair, my amazing hair, which uh, she may not find so amazing. All right. So I want to talk about my hair for a second, but before I go there, because this, this brings this up to me, tell me about the dark web, because I feel like some of these searches I get, like, you know, I have the Experian high alert on for my credit uh-huh. and yep. I get alerts that say like your phone number has shown up on the dark web. And I'm like, damn it again. <laughs> So tell me, tell me, I know that's why I'm getting these. Is it because you're calling the, Are calls. you, have you been calling the dark web? Yeah. Dear, I dial up the dark. I actually have a very uh, offline computer that I use solely when I troll on the dark web to try and find people's social security numbers. Not really, but tell us what really happens on the dark web and do your searches reach that far? Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with kind of the different levels of the internet. Um, and I, to, I'm going to just caveat what I'm about to say with um, a, a statement that I am not an expert in this in any regard. Um, we have folks who I work with who are, um, who work at our firm. But, um, but broadly speaking, as, as, as I understand it, there are three, two levels of the internet and then really a sub-level of one of them. So you have the surface web, which is where most of us interact, right? So that's anything that's, that's been indexed by a search engine. So if you want to find a web page that's on, you know, and you type, a, you type dog into Google and you get a bunch of web pages that have pictures of dogs. Um, I, apparently cat is the number one search term in the world. People like cats. Who likes cats? Um, I had a lot of people. I'm a dog I, person myself. Me too. But, I can't. Um, I, have, I have a distrust of cat people sometimes. <laughs> if that turns off the, what, 7% of my listener base, my apologies. I like them. I just prefer dogs. So yeah. Okay. The seven percent can a come be- back to me. That's a better. That's that's a better way of phrasing it. I enjoy cats, but I prefer the company of dogs. So you have the surface web, and the surface web is ten, maybe ten percent um, of of the information that's that's um, on the on the internet. Um, uh, so that's those are pages that you can find that people intend to be found. So other than the surface web, there is what's referred to as the deep web. And those are web pages that aren't indexed. And so, I mean, you can think about in the, in the abstract, that can be anything that, you know, requires a login or a paywall. So if you type into Google something and it doesn't, and it doesn't show up, but you might actually be able to go into a database that you have access to through the internet and find it, right? So I don't know, government websites, sites that are, that, are, that are password restricted, other things that have not been indexed by, by Google. So the deep web itself is not necessarily nefarious, um, although a lot of nefarious things exist in the deep web, including the, the, what's referred to as the dark web. Um, but you know, generally speaking, the deep web is all this other information that, that you can't find by typing into a standard search engine. Um, and it's large. And you, in, in order to access information in the deep web, you need to either have a password, you have to know the website, um, or you have to find a, you know, have a way to get into it through different applications. And, and inside of that, there is what's referred to, and we use deep web applications all the time, by the way. So databases that have that information. Yeah. And I, um, I actually get those. That's actually sometimes how I feel like I do a lot of uh, patent infringement work, obviously. That's sometimes how I find schematics to be able to make cases of infringement or non-infringement as the case may be, because they're things that companies have put up about their uh, applications or processes that are not publicly, so to speak, available at that service level. Exactly. So they're not going to be indexed, but they're there. 
Some of it's publicly available, some of it you need a password. Um, and then within the, that kind of deep web world, you have what's referred to as the dark web. And so this is this pr probably small portion of the deep web, um, but very large in terms of, of kind of how much is activity is going on. And it's composed of a variety of things, some of which are marketplaces. Like, I'm not sure if you heard of Silk Road. Um, oh, dude. But yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm deep on the dark web. Um, <laughs> not because I have any nefarious intentions and some of the horrible crap on there, but uh, it's super interesting. And obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I like spy novels and such. Uh, and thus I do a lot of research. Well, good. Well, then, you know, probably that if you wanted to go on, if you like, were looking to buy some drugs or maybe some weapons or in your example, breached credit card data, um, a good place to go would be perhaps a, a marketplace on the dark web where you would go and you would purchase it almost always for Bitcoin, um, or some other sort of crypto. And, um, and, and actually that let's put a pin in crypto. Cause I do want to come yeah, back. Cause that's that. actually a new thing. You used to be able to go on there. If like, I needed a grenade launcher, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> I could just, you know, use my credit card. These people, they actually do that though. So, yeah. So, well, I think maybe they don't accepting credit cards anymore, but, um, but crypto. And so, um, and so, you know, some of them are open, some of them you need to have a password to get into, but you know, that's where you would go. So we actually do, you know, it is not a large part of the work that we do, but it is not uncommon for us to go into the dark web as a part of an assignment. So if we have a client um, who's concerned that information of theirs may be available on the dark web, um, we might go in to see, you know, perhaps whether they've been breached, whether information of theirs has been stolen and posted there for sale. We actually had a case um, where a, um, where a client's uh, very um, nice pet was stolen. Um, and they engaged us to determine whether this pet might be for sale on the dark web. Um, it's kind of an Ace Ventura. So I guess we talked about the different type of detectives before. This was this is like the Ace Ventura uh, detective. So um, so we went on to looked in animal marketplaces to see if the dog had been for sale. It's it's not um, not uncommon for people to engage in you know hate groups and other sorts of forums in the dark web. What type so of pet are we talking about? Are we talking like an alligator? Like uh, this alligator? was non-exotic, non-exotic. This was a, this was a, a four-legged mammal. Really, not mm -hmm. exotic though. I'm thinking like tigers, and, you know, like alligators, peacocks, no, things like that. It was it was a very expensive dog, but oh. it was an but but you know, and um, it got and stolen, so, and then it shows up in the dark. That's crazy. Those so those types of people could contact you. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's all, like I said earlier, I mean, there's really lots of applications for, for the service there. I mean, there, there are, we have had folks who are investigating and we need to learn whether they're engaging in, you know, hate groups online. Um, we sometimes will look for clients um, in those types of forums to determine whether they've been doxxed, right. Whether their personal information is being shared among, among people yep. that they are not friendly with. Um, and so that's, you know, that is some of the types of work that we might do in the dark web. Um, but you know, we're not generally speaking, we're not, you, you know, you're not going to find whether somebody is buying drugs by on the dark web, by going onto the dark web. Um, because you know, mostly you would be looking at, you know, the people who are sharing information. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, the dark web right. is a mysterious place. I now would stay that we away have from it if I fully, fully solidified the notion that your job is far cooler than mine. Um, the one thing that I still get to do here, which is not cool at all, is today at the office was headshot day. And mm -hmm. I told you right before we started recording that I was excited because my headshot 
was taken well pre-pandemic. And so I have really well-coiffed short hair. And as you already mocked earlier, I now have barely cut my hair since the pandemic began. And I don't even have a suit on today in the office. I just have a quasi nice dress shirt. And I was very happy that I got my photo taken for our website with my hair and my you know, not that nice of a dress shirt. And you aptly pointed out that the odds of it showing up on our website are slim to none. I think that's right. Yes. So, so you worked at a law firm, your last law firms, would they have posted a photo of somebody looking like me as their professional, like hire this lawyer, you know, headshot? You know, I think I, I loved both of the firms I worked uh, at. So I think I'm going to I'm going to um, abstain from commenting on what the marketing group may or may not have done. But I would say that I think that your hair really looks quite wonderful. No, oh, thank you. And I hope yeah. that other people, because this podcast is not video yet, uh, will get the chance to see what it looks like on the web page. So basically, I'm thinking maybe by mid end of June, if you all of a sudden see me looking less like an older stodgier lawyer, then you know that I, this was successful. So do you think, do you think, do you think there's a chance they'll just keep your, I don't know, 28 year old uh, photo up forever? How old were you in the first? Look, I, first of all, I very much appreciate you saying that I was 28 years old in that photo because it was, I was only like four or five years ago. I do have some photos floating around from my old law firm's websites where I actually probably was 28. I would be, I would be willing to use one of those as my photos. We, I actually have some partners um, who on LinkedIn still have photos that are in black and white. They're that old and they're still practicing. And I'm thinking- you know, they, they, were, they were practicing before there was color photography. Yeah, yes. First of all, you're not that old. <laughs> Second of all, you're not fooling anybody, right? We all know that that's not you anymore. You know, look, if, if the pandemic did one thing, it helped people be transparent, like be, be more transparent and be more authentic. So- Take that Maybe it's like a down. Wall Street Journal thing. You know, there's yeah. something about black and white that's a little bit more serious. Yeah, but that the journal, the, those are cool. I hope, you know what, I hope to one day have this podcast or my legal work covered by the Wall Street Journal such that they do me, do my headshot in their cool old school black and white. I would like that too, actually. I, if I had one of those, I'd hang it on my wall. Yeah, same with me. Like, okay, so here's the question. Would you rather have that or would you rather be so well to do that your wedding announcement was it picked up by the New York Times? I think I would rather have a Wall Street Journal head at sketch. The me too, and that pregnant positor, I was concerned like maybe you were in the New York Times, <laughs> and, I, and this well, you know, let's see right how now. good your research skills are. <laughs> There may be a paywall though. You may have yes, to go yes. into the deep web. They, they do paywall most of those things. I would much rather have like Mr. Rothstein and then my sweet like black and white, like etched, really cool looking, you know, photograph in there. Yep. All right. I'm going to put a pin in that because I want that to happen at some point. All right, Chris, we are basically at it way over time. This has been awesome. Uh, hopefully the listeners got enough of your services about when they need to contact you because I think it's a really big value add, even in the legal industry, but the business industry, obviously, and HR really too. Um, Hopefully you get hit up uh, for more work and you're obviously in Charleston, which is one of my favorite cities. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been great to hear about more about what you do. 